0: Welcome to The Brainstorm, a podcast and video series from ArcInvest. Tune in every week as we react to the latest in innovation and reflect on how short-term news impacts our long-term views. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com.
1: ARC Investment Management, LLC, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. ARC and public are unaffiliated entities and do not have a relationship with respect to either firm marketing or selling the products or services of the other, and therefore, ARC disclaims responsibility for any loss that may be incurred by public's clients or customers. The information provided in this show is for informational purposes only and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision and is subject to change without notice. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARC. And investors should determine for themselves whether a particular investment management service is suitable for their investment needs. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc and or show guests and are not endorsements by Arc of any company or security or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell or hold any security. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in the show may be statements of future expectations and other forward looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. ARC assumes no obligation to update any forward looking information. ARC and its clients, as well as its related persons, may, but do not necessarily, have financial interests in securities or issuers that are discussed. Certain information was obtained from sources that ARK believes to be reliable. However, ARK does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information obtained from any third party. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Brainstorm, Episode Ten. Today we have our first external guest uh, to come talk about Penn National and ESPN. We have Ryan Butler, senior editor at onlinecasinos.com and then we will also be talking about AI and contrails but first let's start with the news of the past week Penn National ESPN Ryan we are so happy you could join us would love a quick background on yourself and then can you tee up this news that you know kind of broke the internet at least for my timeline on Twitter Yeah, guys, glad to be
2: here. And obviously, huge, huge news in the industry. I have been uh, dealing with regulated gambling and media over the last five years or so since the Springport decision in May 2018 that we're all familiar with that started the sports betting boom. Uh, Before that, I was different newspaper outlets uh, for different sports and political journalism. But it's been, again, gaming for about five years here. and, And this is one of the biggest stories uh, we've had uh, since I've gone here, since really, since the, the that decision uh, five years ago. So, a, a lot to talk about today.
1: And so, can you give us a breakdown of the landscape where Penn National falls in, and then just over uh, a, a, an overview of the deal itself? Yeah.
2: So overall in the U.S. sports betting, again, in that five years, we've kind of created almost a a quadopoly of four major companies, of which even really two have a a much larger share. So your big two are FanDuel and DraftKings, which combined have about 75-ish percent market share, of which FanDuel has the majority of that. FanDuel has half of all overall market share. Uh, DraftKings about 25 percent. So those combined are about 75 percent there with it. And then you have your two other big ones, which are BetMGM and and Caesars, uh, again, capitalizing on their relationships with their existing casino databases, uh, you know, national tie ins there. So everybody else, again, there's probably 40 plus regulated sports books across all the different states, across everything else with it. Everyone else is fighting for 10%, 15% 10 percent, 15 percent, or less. Um, there's been a lot of it that have already fallen, um, and there's going to be more that fall with it. So of those kind of remaining companies, uh, Penn is is one of the ones that really thinks that it still has a shot. Um, obviously with this ESPN deal, the biggest things we're looking at for the ESPN is obviously a it does brand the ESPN brand capital or you know translate to betters. <laughs> it has struggled with other media companies. Foxbet, Bet, which kind of jumped out. and seemed to be, a, oh, that's a logical one. Tie it in uh, with Fox Sports. Everyone loves that. That has fallen. Um, that's off of it. We had Maxim Bet. That didn't last very long. Sports Illustrated even have a partnership that a lot of people weren't aware of. That's fallen off. So we've struggled uh, with these brands. And we obviously, we saw it with Barstool. Very loyal fan base. And Penn realized or determined that that just wasn't going to work long term. So uh, instead of folding, which those companies I mentioned earlier have already. We've seen other sports books uh, fold or in the process of it. Uh, pen is on intended doubling down with this espn one which is one of the biggest deals we've seen there uh, so it's gonna be a really interesting look to so see does that a does, okay, like i said is that espn brand is that the one that finally breaks through the translates and uh, the second thing we're looking at too is Penn uses its own in-house technology it paid two billion dollars for the score which is kind of the equivalent to ESPN in Canada. uh, They've also developed their own in-house tech platform. And technology is one of those underappreciated, huge aspects of sports betting success. DraftKings and FanDuel, yes, they have the DFS brand, the name, they have the brand awareness, all that stuff. But really, some of their biggest successes has been their technology. They were the innovators of single game parlays, which have higher hold percentages than even traditional parlays, which have higher hold percentages than uh, typical standard bets. Uh, And there's different ways to stand out. You know, when you look at the NFL, guys, it's, every every you know, book is pretty much the same. Uh, one team's gonna be minus three, one team's gonna be plus three, minus 110, big aside. It's those different innovations, it's those prop bets, those smaller bets, everything with it. So again, uh, trying to wrap that all up, ESPN, that brand, and uh, secondly, Penn now with its own in-house tech platform, using that, with that ESPN branding around it, can those combine and can they be a force in a market that really is dominated by four companies?
0: Ryan, I'm I'm so glad you're on because that was a, a better rundown than anything I've I've seen online yet. So that that's amazing. And what's your gut take on this? Right? Does this actually matter for the the landscape or is this just news because it's a, a great win for Portnoy and a great story? Uh, so it's grabbing headlines. But as you're saying, you know, are people fighting for scraps? Does it matter for the landscapes and those big two players? Uh, is this a way that ESPN kind of regains some relevance as their cable subscriptions are, are slowly trickling off. Yeah. A lot, again,
2: that's part of why it is such a big story. Just to touch on that first now, it's, it's so many different pieces. Dave Portnoy, the sale, selling it for $500 million or whatever, getting it back for a dollar, an incredible thing with it. ESPN and Disney has really been struggling, and ESPN in particular. Uh, you know, they, If you remember kind of years ago, they, they joked the nuclear option for McDonald's, which was struggling was making breakfast 24-7. That was a big deal on a big news story. <laughs> ESPN has been kind of flirting with a sports book for years. Now they find pull the trigger, so they're going to go ahead with it. Again, now they don't own it. They're just the licensing deal. So we'll see with that. And then again, the biggest question overall is, is there room? There is room for a fifth big player. Uh, ESPN and Penn are projecting 20% market share, uh, which is, is, is really, really aggressive. That would be incredibly hard to reach, just for anybody. Um, that's going to be tough. But can they go to 10%? which is a roughly double what they have now, I think it's possible. One of the big things I think we're just, the difference is with these branding ideas and why I, maybe I'm a little bit bullish on ESPN, but I look, like, if I pull out my phone, if I pull out the ESPN, I'm, I'm looking at the ESPN app five times a day, just blindly, you know, just seeing what's going on. I have no idea. I check ESPN.com every day. You know, I, there's some background sports, there's something going on. ESPN for sports fans is so ingrained in our life here in the US. If they can capitalize on this well, it, just getting that deluge of information in your face about betting, it's gonna be hard to pass up. But again, we haven't necessarily seen that be the catalyst. I think the biggest question is, did that in-house tech platform that Penn spent $2 billion in part acquiring when they bought the score, can that stand out? Are they going to be the ones that have better single game parlays or whatever that next innovation is? Uh, Can they get rid of lag time? You know, it's really tough uh, if you're watching a game, uh, even on terrestrial TV. If you're watching baseball, it can be a pitch or two behind what's actually happening. If you're watching online, it's significantly longer, you know, which a lot of people are watching online. Are they able to, are they the ones that get that stream where you feel like you're watching it in real time? Other companies like FUBU have tried that and failed. That technology is in the process. There's companies working on it. If they are maybe the ones who innovate or can push that forward, that'd be a big deal. Caesars has kind of tried this where they were broadcasting a game on their sportsbook app. Uh, tied in nicely with it. Well, ESPN has a huge already built-in media network with it. If I can, if the ESPN bet uh, app, if I have the sports book, uh, let's say, you know, a Monday Night Football and the game is live real time, and I have the bets right there, the live lines going with it. Also, if they're integrating it, maybe uh, on ESPN too, you know, they have the Manning cast. What if they had a bet cast and it's completely focused on betting live lines, which again are higher odds. This is how you differentiate yourself. You have the best to live lines. Every pregame bet for spread total money line is roughly the same. Slight differences. you have that? Are you able to get advantage of it? Plus maybe the promotions are Troy Aikman and, and, and our uh, Joe Buck talking about the lines too during it. It's all of those things. So again, that's kind of a long-winded explanation with it. If I knew exactly I wouldn't be talking to you guys, I would be a billionaire and you know somewhere <laughs> else. Uh, but these are kind of the big things that we're looking at it. And it's, well, maybe my final note on this: one of the most interesting things is if ESPN bet does not work out, if it's not getting ten plus percent, that's kind of it. There's really nothing else. There's there's Bet three six five, which is a major major European company that has kind of slowly expanded to the U.S. They're very they, they dominate uh, European markets. They have great in house tech. They're very good at marketing. Do they try to get in? That's the only other, and then maybe like an Amazon or, or something else that we kind of out of left field, but. If that's if ESPN, Bet, and Penn, which again, Penn, we haven't even touched on, is the largest land based casino operator, has the most properties across the country. Most of them are smaller. They don't have any flagships like the Bellagio or whatever, but you know, they have a big database. If them and ESPN can't work out, if they're not getting 10 plus percent, I mean, that's pretty much it. We're going to be DraftKings and FanDuel and you know, one, two, with that MGM and Caesars because they're tied in base, you know, and then everyone else just fighting for scraps, kind of like we're here. It's kind of an interesting thing that maybe if we don't see this in the next couple of years, it'll be less than a decade in, the sports betting market in the U.S. has pretty much set itself, and it's an incredible story in itself.
1: Ryan, I have one last question for you, and I think the point around technology and convenience to the consumer is really important to this story, Um, but what I noticed in digging through the press release, and please feel free to correct me if I'm misinterpreting this, but there is within, you know, some states where both iGaming and online sports betting is legal. What I saw in the press release is Penn will now spin out the iGaming portion of the app that was originally tied in with online sports betting through the Barstool sports book. That will now be spun out into a separate Hollywood branded app. And so the, in states where it is legal to have both online sports betting and iGaming, you won't be able to have all of that wrapped into one uh, application under the ESPN bet brand. How important do you think that is? Because when you talk about technology and innovation, there's a lot of uh, ways to drive consumers into that higher margin iGaming business. And this is obviously what you're currently focused on. You know, you're, you're at OnlineCasinos.com. So I am curious, you know, your take on this, because I do think it is an important yet kind of it was snuck in there at the end that this is going to be separate separated out. Yeah,
2: and Nicholas, I appreciate you bringing that up. It's, we focus this conversation on sports betting, but sports betting is just a small piece of the puzzle for the overall online casino gambling market. It's similar to a casino. If you go into any land-based casino in America, you see slots everywhere, and you maybe see some table games. The sports book is typically in the back. It's not a, usually a prominent thing for most casinos. It's a way to get you in there, place a few bets, and then they're hoping on your way out, you see a slot machine you like or a table game you like, and you play it there. Table games, online casino table games, and slots in particular have much higher margins than sports betting. A typical sports book holds about 7%, and online casino can be 25-30%. So it's a huge part of it, and then really, ultimately, all this money that DraftKings FanDuel City and MGM have spent is with the idea of it ultimately the adaptation of more online slots and table game states. So that that is a big one for Penn. It uses the Hollywood brand name for a lot of its properties, so that's a little bit more common. You know, you're kind of hoping there. But yeah, the problem with going all in on ESPN is that you are just sports. And again, that's a lower margin thing with it. So from again, we've talked about how does ESPN bet play into the sports betting picture? Eh, You know, 10% is, is doable. It'd be tough, you know, everything with it. For Penn now, for the more lucrative online casino... This maybe does handicap them. If you follow Barstool brand, some of their personalities, their guys, they would do, you know, slot nights or whatever. Um, they do live streams. Live dealer uh, online table games are getting more and more popular. That's a bigger part of the, the picture there. You know, they, they lose that. Obviously, that wasn't a huge factor, but there's something else with it. Now, you have know, Hollywood brand, which, you know, is, is known with brick and mortar casinos, smaller casinos that are an older audience. Are these players going to really jump into the online casino, probably less likely, you know, and that they, they don't have that. And yeah, with ESPN dead because it's a licensing deal, ESPN did not buy its own sports book. It's just, uh, sometimes we use the term skin, it's just a brand relabeling of the existing apparatus. Yeah, they lose that, that online casino connection and, and it could be a, a difficulty there long-term, you know, converting people to those iCasino players are more lucrative. So, yeah, it's something that Penn's going to have to look at as it continues with this this, this massive double-down bet. I mean, again, $2 billion on the tech and the score. Uh, you're looking at uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially, depending on the duration of the deal, how long it lasts for the ESPN licensing. Uh, they already spent several hundred million dollars for Barstool and gave it away for a dollar. Uh, it's a lot, a lot of money for what has now been a Comparatively lower margin offering than your brick and mortar casinos, and one a company that again they're at five percent market share right now. Uh, after what five billion dollars? Not to mention other costs of things like that. Uh, it's a lot of money, and uh, you know it's going to be. That is one other thing is that they don't have a a typically
1: super well known online casino brand. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. I don't think the rollout is until November. And so we'll have to have you back on to talk about it, maybe a month into the rollout, see how it plays out once we start getting that state level data. But thank you so much. This was uh, an awesome segment. We are so happy to have you on as our first external guest, and hopefully our first reoccurring guest in November when it when it all Ooh. all plays out. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Be happy to. Thank you. Okay, Sam. Let's switch up topics. Uh, completely different space. Let's go. All in on AI and contrails. Can you give us the background here? It's a it's a funky naming topic, but you obviously have a story to it and can elaborate more.
0: Yeah, so this was a paper put out or blog post from Google Research last week uh, on contrails, and so you know contrails are just it's short for condensation trails. This is the white streaks you see behind planes. There is the you know. Uh, conspiracy theorists out there saying, you know, these are actually chemtrails, it's bad chemicals for you, whatever. It's really just water. Um, But, you know, growing up, I was always told, oh, it's just water, it's not harmful, you know, ignore it. But it actually turns out that the contrails, they stay up in the sky, they can turn into clouds, uh, and they actually contribute to roughly 35% of aviation's global warming impact. So it's this huge amount of impact from these clouds. And they, they form only when flying through humid areas. Uh, and so what Google did with the AI was they trained it to spot when these uh, humid areas would form and at what altitudes. And so that was really the big problem before, is you know it's hard to predict when they will occur. We don't really measure that. So they did this with an algorithm. Uh, and they actually put it into use to test it out. So rerouting flights to maybe fly a little lower, a little higher uh, to avoid creating these contrails. And so they partnered with uh, it was American Airlines, I believe. Yep. So they flew 70 test flights in six months, found that alternate routes reduced contrails by 54 percent while only increasing fuel consumption by about 2 percent and they they, you know they ran their simulations they said you know if we kept doing this and we did it at scale and we really targeted contrails that were occurring at night which have a bigger impact you know we could do this with only increasing fuel consumption by 0.3 percent. and so all in the cost of carbon avoidance here equivalent would be in the five to twenty five dollar range it would make it one of the most cost effective climate solutions Uh, and in theory, it's not a huge upfront investment, right? You're just rerouting planes. You don't need to install like crazy new hardware to get it done. Uh, so this is an interesting use of application for AI and climate that, you know, I think kind of went overlooked in broader, broader media coverage there.
1: So I have one question for you. You mentioned that, okay, so there was, you know, this reduction in the amount of, uh, pollution that they were contributing, but there was also an increase not, not, in- Not
0: pollution, global warming not pollution. impact.
1: Global, global warming, warming impact. impact. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I swapped those out. I'm, I'm wrong for doing that. But my question is, okay, so you have this reduction, but then there was also, I think what, a 2% increase in the amount of fuel burned. Yeah. Was the AI optimized just to reduce that global warming impact, or was it also optimized to save on fuel costs as well? Because I'm sure there's probably- some middle ground that they can achieve so that the, the fuel costs isn't you know skyrocketing as you're lowering your contribution to global warming impact.
0: Yeah. And that, that ties into the 0.3% number at the end. So this initial one was, I think, just optimized to see you know if the initial algorithm and rerouting to avoid contrails would work. Uh, but then what they were saying, so essentially, it's like, you know, here's earth and you got the sun here. Then it's like, the side where it's night is in theory cooling. You're releasing a lot of heat. But if you have a plane fly here and it creates a cloud essentially, then you're trapping all this heat and it's bouncing off this cloud. Whereas if you have a contrail here and the sun's here, it's still trapping in heat, but the cloud's also reflecting some sunlight away. And so you know, contrails at night are much worse as far as Impact to global warming. So they were saying, you know, at scale, if we really targeted this, we could have minimal uh, increase in fuel while reducing contrails a similar amount or contrails that would impact global warming more. Um, Even with that 2%, I think they were saying, you know, this is still very net positive as far as global warming impact. But then, you know, at the end of the day, you get to this question of, you're right, it's five to twenty-five dollars uh, per CO two equivalent uh, abatement, and the question is, right, who who's paying that? Right, you know, you and I don't want to pay increased flight costs to avoid contrails. Uh, probably the average consumer doesn't. Is this taxed in some way where you know you take this and you kind of make it a I don't know. The question yeah yeah the question is how, how do you actually implement this if it's an added cost even if it's a low cost.
1: Right. Well, maybe you know the government steps in and subsidizes this or I think create some type of like carbon offset tax credit that you know I think car companies swap around, right? Like that's how it's been rolled out with you know incentivizing the transition to electric vehicles. So maybe there's something that the government can do to subsidize the move and have airlines adopt this, or maybe I'm, maybe that's already. Ha- I, I I haven't looked into what they are doing to try to offset the impact they have on the global warming
0: scene. Yep. So Nick, we ended under twenty minutes as you requested. Nice and early. We'll see. We'll see if the people like it, if those last 10 minutes were really what was uh, preventing everyone from getting to the end. And so, you know, for a code word for next week, Nick, what is your favorite summertime activity? Running. There you have it. That's my what favorite in- outdoor
1: activity, just general.
0: Just generally. Well, I'm, and I'm no- <laughs> terrified of
1: the ocean. I'm not going in the ocean. I'm not swimming with sharks it's not happening. So I, you know, I stick to dry land. I like to run.
0: There you go. You just got to watch out for the alligators.
1: And then I think there was one question uh, this past week that used the uh, code word cookies and cream, Sam's favorite ice cream. It was a long one around Bitcoin. I think we'll point you towards all of the great Bitcoin content the team has put out, whether it's the Bitcoin monthly or the Bitcoin brainstorm that was also, I believe, released last week. I would, recommend checking those out. I'm sure you can find the answer in those. And it would be much better than Sam and I trying to to answer uh, your question because I think our, our Bitcoin team, our crypto team does a great job uh, giving all the information they have out to the public with the Bitcoin Monthly and the other publications we have. So I will point you there. Um, and we look forward to your questions again this week. And thank you for joining. That's our show. See you next week. See you next week.